Um, let's pray together now. Father God, you are indeed a gracious king. We join the angels in praising you. You are a God of hope, peace, joy, and love. And what an act of love that we remember throughout the Advent season that you sent your son to this earth who would later die for us so that we could have life with you. We come to you in thanks. We have experienced your love and blessing in different ways this Advent season and this week. And so we'll each quietly and by ourselves give thanks to you right now. Thank you, Lord God. In this season of waiting, as we wait for Christmas, as we wait to go back to school or our workplaces, as we wait to have big extended family gatherings again, we pray for your spirit to guide us and to give us peace and comfort. We need your leading. Help us to wait well, to remember that though it is hard to do things differently this Christmas, you are still with us, providing and loving us. Move us to give rather than grumble. Give us your eyes to see opportunities you're giving us and the many, many blessings. Lord, if we tried to count our blessings, it would be like trying to count the stars in the sky. You're a good God, and we know that you love us. We lift up those who are struggling or hurting this Christmas. Have mercy. Give them your peace that surpasses understanding, your comfort and healing. As we read or watch the news, we see all that's going on in the world. And so we pray again that you would bring unity um, to our country and that you'd give wisdom to government officials who have to make tough decisions. Please guide health experts. Though it can be really difficult to trust you with these big things, we do surrender them to you. We pray over the rest of this morning that you would speak to us through your word and through Sean. Help us have hearts ready to hear your words for us and help us to listen. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. And we're actually going to add on just one last bit to our prayer. This is kind of for the kids, but I figure anything for the kids is good for everyone. So we're going to say one short little prayer where you just repeat after me. So here we go. Father God, Father God, thank you for so loving the world. Thank you for so loving the world that you sent your one and only son, that you sent your one and only son, that whoever believes in him, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not perish, but have eternal life, but have eternal life. Amen. Good morning. My name is Sean Reese. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are five days from the big day. I can hear the kids cheering. So what are you longing for? 
five days from Christmas. What are you waiting for five days before Christmas this year? Kiddos, you're probably waiting to open those gifts under the tree. As Bunny mentioned earlier, perhaps there's one gift that you're especially hoping to get. Maybe that goes for all of us. We're all hoping to, you know, or waiting to open those gifts under the tree. But perhaps here in 2020, we are longing more for other things. Perhaps we're longing to get the vaccine or a return. Perhaps we're waiting for a return to some semblance of normalcy. We haven't really longed for the ordinary, like we're longing for that now. Perhaps we're longing for some family time, something we haven't had in a while, maybe. Perhaps we're longing for peace from our anxiety or longing for healing from an an illness. What are you longing for five days before Christmas 2020? Well, as you know, this is our fourth and final week of Advent. And Advent is a time of waiting, of longing, of hoping. Jamie Smith notes that our longings reveal our hearts and what we are living for. He says, the longings of the heart both point us in the direction of a kingdom and propel us toward it. In other words, we live toward our longings. We live toward what we are waiting for. But we all know that waiting is not fun. It simply is not fun. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, I love waiting for things. Or, oh yes, I get to wait now. Yay. Waiting is hard business. Especially in our instant gratification culture, we've forgotten how to wait well. And that means Advent is difficult. As someone has said, Advent is not for wimps. (laughs) Well, today we meet two characters from the Christmas story who are also waiting. And they will teach us how to wait well. So let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for these words that you enabled Luke to write down, these amazing words about the birth of your son. And we ask you to teach us this morning through your spirit and enable us to live your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our Advent series this year, we've explored characters from the Christmas story while connecting them to a beatitude. We've especially met many characters from Luke's gospel. And in Luke's birth narrative, it's all about waiting and longing. The first week, Bernard shared about Zechariah and Elizabeth and how they were poor in spirit. They were longing for a child. The second week, Brian shared about Mary and Joseph and how they were meek. Not weak, but meek. And Mary, as we heard in her Magnificat, was especially longing for God's blessings to be poured out on the humble and lowly. Last week, Jerry shared about the shepherds and wise men and how they were hungering and thirsting for righteousness. 
Both groups were longing to see this new baby, this new king. And today, as you know, we meet Simeon and Anna, two servants in Jerusalem who can be described as pure in heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And they are both waiting, waiting expectantly, and they, as I said, will show us how to wait well. Well, as James and I discussed this service, we decided to try some new and different things this morning. So to that end, for you kiddos, as Bunny already said, I will show the clip from the movie The Promise during the sermon, so you can wait well for that. But I've also asked James to use the first verse from our offertory song to be sung as a refrain at a few times throughout our service. It was gonna be live, but we've ended up recording, um, recording them. So here's the refrain. Hearts waiting, waiting on a savior. What are your hearts waiting on this Christmas? Well, I invite you into our text this morning, Luke 2, beginning at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that's took Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Well, the Holy Family journeys to Jerusalem to present Jesus in obedience to the law. Luke's birth narrative is full of ordinary Jews who are faithful and obedient. In this case, Leviticus 12 stipulates that a mother of a boy must undergo 40 days of purification after birth. The first seven days, she is unclean, and then she spends 33 days in purification. It's during this time that Mary and Joseph traveled to Jerusalem to present Jesus as their firstborn. And that's uh, stipulated back in Exodus. They They offer a sacrifice as well, which comes out of Leviticus. If the family is wealthy, a lamb is offered. In this case, it's a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This suggests that Joseph and Mary are poor. Now Luke's language here is reminiscent of the presentation of Samuel by Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. In that case, Hannah takes Samuel to the sanctuary in Shiloh and meets an aged priest by the name of Eli. 
And here, Mary and Joseph encounter the aged Simeon. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have, prom- you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Well, we do meet the aged Simeon and he is described in three ways. First, he is described as as another of God's faithful servants. He's righteous and devout. He's faithful in all his relationships with a heart centered on God. Secondly, he is waiting. The word waiting frames our text today. It's used here of Simeon. It will be used later of Anna. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he's waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. Promises made to Isaiah, where the prophet expects God to show up again to comfort and save his people. See, Simeon knows that his faithful God has promised a better future for his people. So he is longing. He is waiting expectantly on a savior. Hearts waiting, waiting on a Savior. Savior. Indeed, the whole universe is waiting expectantly on a Savior for a world tainted by evil in every way. God would have to intervene. Good education wouldn't fix the problem. Benevolent government wouldn't fix the problem. More more and better legislation wouldn't right the wrongs. And humanity certainly wouldn't be able to get themselves out of the mess. 
Simeon knows the situation is hopeless if God doesn't intervene. So he waits and he longs for the fulfillment of God's promises. And he shows us how to wait well. He attaches himself to God. That's how you wait well. Simeon lives a with God life 24-7. He's righteous and devout, faithful and obedient because everything in his life revolves around the center, which is God. He's not perfect, but he lives with integrity with his eyes lifted up. As we wait for the fulfillment of God's promises, we would do well to follow Simeon's lead. Thirdly, Simeon is described as having the Holy Spirit upon him. The Holy Spirit, mentioned three times, is directing his actions and enabling him to prophesy. Most Jews believed that Old Testament prophecy had ceased with Malachi until John the Baptist revived it. But Luke tells a different story. Simeon is a prophet. And so being led by the Spirit... He meets Joseph and Mary and Jesus. This is no chance encounter. God is orchestrating the events. And so Simeon takes Jesus into his hands. In doing so, he's holding in his arms something bigger than the entire world. He blesses God and he breaks out into song, a song that's called Nuke Diminis. And for you kids, Waiting well for the movie clip. Here it is. He is your firstborn. His name is Jesus. Jesus. servant can depart in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation prepared in the presence of all peoples a revelation to all the nations and glory to Israel this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel. But my dear, I fear a sword will pierce right through your soul, so that the hearts of men will be exposed. Simeon sings his praises to God. The eyes of his heart have been opened. And he addresses God directly in the, in the second person, which implies a closeness to God. His eyes 
have been open to the fulfillment of God's promises. The fulfillment is in his arms. The time of mourning was over. The consolation of Israel had arrived in this baby. Comfort and salvation had come. And not just for Israel. Simeon sings of light and salvation coming to the entire world. In other words, the coming of God in Jesus was the beginning of the end of the world's long night. Simeon sings his praises to God. Another way to wait well. E. Stanley Jones once said, every person is looking for a song to sing and a creed to believe in. In reality, the creed we believe determines the song we sing. The song we sing comes out of the very center of our lives. The psalmist encourages us to sing a new song in response to God's salvation. The emphasis is on the word new. And what is new? It's the new life that we have through this baby. The movement out of darkness and out of fear and into light and into a new hope and a new creation. This is what baby Jesus will bring us. And so we sing. We can sing new hope-filled praise songs like our refrain today. Hearts waiting, waiting on a Savior. sings a hope-filled praise song to Emmanuel, God with us because the light has dawned. But Simeon's song is not done. After Joseph and Mary marvel at Simeon's song, Simeon continues with a concluding but ominous prophecy. Most babies are simply called cute by strangers, but not baby Jesus. Simeon's concluding prophecy raises an ominous cloud over Jesus. There will be rejection and division. Simeon's eyes have been opened to see that when this child grows up, there will be a dividing line between those who accept him and those who reject him. Indeed, the division becomes most evident in how Jesus will love and care for sinners, for outcasts, for children, for Gentiles. He'll pour out his grace and mercy on the lowly and the humble. And the lowly and humble respond positively because they recognize their need for a savior. On the other side of the divide are the rich and the famous, the powerful and the elite, the proud and the arrogant. They have honor and reputations to protect they don't need help, and they know it. They certainly don't need a savior. 
At least they don't think so. They're quite fine controlling the world. These are people like Caesar and Herod who missed the living God when he arrived. But Simeon is still not done. A sword will also pierce Mary's heart. This is a tough saying. But it probably continues with the theme of division. Although Mary is the mother of Jesus, Jesus is going to redefine family throughout his ministry. Being the mother of the Savior does not give one an inside track. Mary will have to decide which side of the dividing line she is on as well. She will painfully have to detach from Jesus as mother and reattach as disciple which she will do. She begins to learn this lesson in the next scene in Luke when Jesus, at age 12, stays behind after Mary and Joseph leave Jerusalem. He chooses to be with his heavenly father instead of with his earthly family. Well, that's Simeon. Now we consider Anna, verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward or waiting all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, as Simeon was described in three ways, so is Anna. First, she's a prophetess, implying the Spirit is working in her as well. And Anna stands in a long line of Hebrew prophetesses. Sarah, Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, Abigail, Esther, Huldah, and Isaiah's wife. And while at the temple, the Spirit moves her to baby Jesus at just the right time. Secondly, she's a widow, advanced in years. Luke has a special place in his writings for widows. And Anna is either 84 years old or she's been a widow for 84 years, which would mean she would be over 100 years old. Either way, she is very old, as Luke says. And thirdly, and, and most importantly, her character is described. Like Simeon, she is faithful, obedient, and a hopeful Jew. And she shows extraordinary devotion. She worships 24-7 in the temple, giving thanks, fasting, and waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. She's waiting expectantly for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, the NIV translates the word waiting in verse 38 as looking forward to, but it's the same word as verse 25. So this phrase sits in parallel with Simeon's waiting for the consolation of Israel. As, as Simeon was waiting for comfort and salvation, Anna is waiting for the promised redeemer, the promised rescuer. And she, through the Spirit, recognizes that this baby boy 
is the fulfillment of the promises. He's the true redeemer, the hope for all people. And the song she sings is a constant thanksgiving. And she says it to all the people coming and going. She gives the reason for the hope she has. Redemption always speaks to a situation where someone is hopelessly caught in some sort of bondage. The person cannot free him or herself. This is our condition. Sin and evil run right through us and they bind us and we cannot free ourselves. But this baby is God coming to the rescue coming to free us from all of that ugliness, all that sin that binds us. The situation would be hopeless if God didn't intervene. And Anna, through the Spirit, recognizes the intervention. The Savior and Redeemer had come, and she can't hold it in. waiting, waiting on a Savior and Redeemer. And she shows us how to wait well. Not only is she always ready to give a reason for the hope she has, she also fasts. Fasting is a deliberate departure from her surrounding culture, as it would be today. And fasting is Anna's way of protesting against the way things are. In this way, it's her particular expression of hope. It's an enacted prayer for God to come and set things right. She's living hopefully by living counterculturally. Today, we live in a hopeless and despairing culture, especially in 2020. Resignation pervades our society such that hedonism and consumerism and secularism are the norm. Secularism, anchored only in human potential, simply has no hope. But we, like Anna, we are people of hope. We are evangelists of hope because we know a faithful God who fulfills his promises and he has the future in his hands. So what would it look like for you and me to be countercultural, like Anna during this Christmas season 2020. Well, it could be in our words, always prepared to give a reason for the hope we have. Or it could be in our attitude, not buying into all the buying and consumerism of the Christmas series. Not that it's Christmas season, not that it's all wrong, but it's not ultimate. Or maybe recovering the wonder of Christmas, that God would come to us as a little baby, 
not as a powerful one. The great turning point of history is a baby boy. But it could also be with our deeds. Maybe fasting like Anna, or maybe simple deeds of love. Trusting that even the most insignificant of faithful and obedient actions, the cup of cold water, the hospitality to a stranger, a blanket for the needy, none of which have any special significance in the big scheme of things, but doing these simple, small deeds of love, trusting that they will be used by God to further his purposes in the world. This is to be an evangelist of hope. Being salt and light in our dark and desperate world is to live with hope. And it is to live well, like Anna. Verse 39, and this is our epilogue. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Well, this is the conclusion of Luke's birth narrative. And we're reminded again of Samuel's presentation. Um, Like Elkanah and Hannah, the Holy Family heads back home, and like Samuel, Jesus grows up filled with the wisdom and grace of God upon him. What is your heart waiting on this Christmas? What are you longing for this Christmas? Both Simeon and Anna exemplify waiting well with a purity of heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, it means to be unmixed at the center of your being. Simeon and Anna are both pure and unmixed at the center of their beings. They have no divided loyalties, no hypocrisy, no mixed motivations in their hearts. They're not perfect. The pure in heart are not the perfect in heart, but they're attached to God, not just on the Sabbath, but every day, which is why they can, they can both sing songs of hope-filled praise. They see this baby and the spirit opens their eyes to see that this baby is the fulfillment of God's promises. This baby will bring comfort, salvation, and redemption to not only them and their people, but to all people, which includes you and me. This baby is our hope. He's our only hope. 
This baby, Emmanuel, God with us, is our comfort, is our salvation, and is our Redeemer. God has not abandoned us. Out of his great love, he has descended to us and given himself for us. So we seek to be like Simeon and Anna, waiting well with a purity of heart. And the pure in heart will see God. Simeon and Anna did see God face to face when they looked into the face of the baby, Jesus. Unfortunately, we don't see God in the same way. Although Jesus will later allude to seeing him when we welcome children into our midst or when we welcome the marginalized of society into our lives, but we won't see Jesus as Simeon and Anna did. But our ultimate hope, our ultimate longing, what we are ultimately waiting for, which we also remember at Advent, is that we will see God face to face someday. This beatitude lands in this truth. For Paul says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. We will see God face to face someday. That's a promise. Jesus has promised. He will return and he will make all things New, he will wipe away every tear from every eye. So through our yearly advents runs a deeper longing for his final advent when he will come again and make all things new. In some sense, our entire life is advent season as we wait and long and hope for that final advent when we will see him face to face. So we are very much like Simeon and Anna, waiting for, longing for, hoping for the fulfillment of God's promises. And the best news of all, as if today wasn't all good news already, as the best news of all, through this baby, God fulfilled his promises. All those Old Testament prophecies about comfort and salvation and redemption, they've all been fulfilled in Jesus. God has proved his faithfulness time and again. And yet, the story is not yet completed. The final advent is still in the future. But our faithful God holds the future in his hands. And this means our ultimate hope in the final advent is guaranteed and secure because it is anchored in a faithful God who fulfills his promises. So, until that final advent or until he calls us home, we wait well, like Simeon and Anna, Attaching ourselves to God 24-7, devoting ourselves to God 24-7, sharing our unshakable hope, and doing small deeds of love. This is to be an evangelist of hope, and this is to wait well. Who will celebrate Christmas well, Bonhoeffer once asked. 
Whoever finally lays down all power, all honor, all reputation, all pride, all arrogance, all individualism beside this baby. In other words, the pure in heart will celebrate Christmas well. And we say, come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen. And I receive this benediction from the Psalms in Isaiah. Wait well for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait well for him. As you wait, sing your songs of joy and hope. For the Lord has come. He has comforted his people. He has redeemed all people. The light has come in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see and rejoice in the salvation of our faithful God. Amen and Merry Christmas.